University in Anderson, Indiana last week. I just want to say thank you for providing me as your pastor the opportunity to be away for a Sunday to do that. Uh, Thank you. And this picture right here, um, I said my final goodbye to Ryan. We gave him his final hug. And then as he walked away for the last time, I turned and had the, the wherewithal to take that picture. That is him walking away after the final goodbye. He did not look back. <laughs> you know, at the teacher's appreciation night, I shared this picture. And, and um, Barb Richter, who you know, we've, been, we've prayed for, and she is going through a, a difficult time with cancer. Uh, Barb and Ryan, they, they had a kind of a special connection. And one of the things that Barb Richter said was, look how his shoulders are held high as he walks. And I, I repeated that to the teachers, and I had a couple of the teachers stay after and tell me, thank you, Pastor Jason, that's what I needed for another year. It matters what we do, doesn't it? It matters that we're in this together with the teachers that are across the way. It matters what they do, and it matters what we do, and we're doing it together. You know, I mean, the the overused phrase, it takes a village to raise a child. Yes, I know, but we are a village, and it does. We're not against the school. We're with the school. I didn't mean to make you cry. Some of you are crying. That wasn't my goal. It it has actually been very good, as it should be. That's what it's supposed to be, right? They go. So, thank you for giving me the chance to be away. And I want to thank Pastor Sarah and Mike for an excellent message last week. Your team sermon, I thought, was was very good. And, you you know, the time that you've spent in the Gospel of John, that the Lord has had you in the Gospel of John for a while. We were listening to that sermon on our drive home from Anderson, and... um, We needed to be reminded, all of us did, myself included, needed to be reminded that we've got to stay connected to the vine. We needed to be reminded that God has prepared a mission for us in advance, a mission of good works to do. We needed to be reminded and encouraged not to grow weary in doing good. Thank you for that reminder, Pastor Mike and Pastor Sarah. It was good. The Lord was here. And now would you pray with me as we open up God's Word afresh today. Lord God, as we do open up your Word, is with expectation. It's with this idea that we're not smart enough to do this by ourselves. that it requires you, because this is your inspired Word. You inspired the authors to write this, and now we ask that you would inspire us, Holy Spirit, to understand. Be here, Lord God. Be here, Holy Spirit. Speak to us, Lord Jesus. Well, two weeks ago, we did end our sermon series on churchy words, and I told you that we would be starting something new. I have been intrigued as of late by the Old Testament minor prophets. And as a pastor, I pay attention to that kind of thing because oftentimes it means I'm supposed to be sharing from what what that is with you. The minor prophets are not usually something we spend a lot of time in, are they? My guess would be if you read devotionally, and I hope that you do, read the Bible every day, my guess would be the minor prophets are not a place where you hover long. If you use the My Daily Bread, which by the way, the My Daily Bread is is out again, you can pick it up uh, out in the narthex if you like to follow along. They don't spend a lot of time in the minor prophets. 
There's a lot of time in the New Testament, and as it makes sense, Christians spend a lot of time studying and reading and preaching on the New Testament books. But we must remember what's in the Old Testament. And in fact, think about it. The very early church, when they got together for church service, what they were studying was the Old Testament because it wasn't called the Old Testament back then. It was called the Word of God. The New Testament, then, as it came into being, they began to use that as well. But for Jesus and the disciples and the early church, it was the Old Testament. We must be in the Old Testament. And the minor prophets are an intriguing place to be. The Old Testament has 39 books. Twelve of those 39 are the minor prophets. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Woo! Even just reading them in a list is a mouthful. Twelve of our books. Does anyone know why they're called the minor prophets? Anyone? Anyone? Because they're short. Some people think that they're the minor prophets because they're not as important as the major prophets. That's not true. The minor prophets are just as important as the major prophets. The major prophets, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah, they're called major because they're long. The minor prophets are called minor because they're short. And in fact, one of the things in in Israel, and and still even today in the Jewish faith, the minor prophets, are they're, they're kept together, but originally they were kept together because the 12 of those books fit really well on one scroll. That's why they were, they were together. They fit on a scroll. So Isaiah had its own scroll. Jeremiah had its own scroll. Ezekiel had its own scroll. And then the minor prophets had their own scroll. See how that works? They just fit together on the scroll. But their message is no less important than Isaiah or Ezekiel or Jeremiah. It is as important. They are equal. In the Hebrew tradition and in the Christian tradition, the minor prophets are equal to the major prophets. Everybody got that? Now, I'm not completely sure how many of these books the Lord would have us study together over the coming weeks, but I do know where God wants us to start. Of the 12 minor prophets I named, my guess would be that there is one of those names that's more familiar than the other 11, and that one is Jonah. Everybody knows Jonah. And I know Jonah very well, and the reason for that is because of that VeggieTale movie that came out, right? When Ryan was a baby, uh, my wife had to do this nursing experience in Washington, D.C., and I had, had the, the joyous job of driving from Anderson all the way to D.C. alone with my infant boy, and he was nursing at the time. So you can imagine how that was because I didn't have the goods. Okay? I'm just telling you, that's a fact of life. So you can imagine what that drive was like. The only thing that kept Ryan from screaming, and I mean screaming, was the Jonah VeggieTales movie. So I listened to that movie about 17 times in a row on that car ride. I think I could recite the entire movie now. Yes, the the book of Jonah is the one that we are the most familiar familiar with. And we're going to spend a couple weeks, two, three weeks, in the book of Jonah. Why Jonah? 
Why do you suppose the Lord wants us to start with Jonah? And I think that this is from the Lord. That's my sense. Well, I think because we're familiar with the story, I think we're supposed to start there, or at least we think we are. I also think that the message of Jonah is essentially and especially important for this moment that we are living in. I think the book of Jonah speaks to this list. COVID, Afghanistan, political upheaval, and overcoming the inertia in our church to begin ministries again, I believe Jonah speaks to all of that. Four chapters, a tiny little book in Scripture, I think speaks to all of that. But before we start, if I asked you to tell me about the prophet Jonah, my guess would be that you would start by telling me about the whale. It's a fish. We're all concerned. Is it a fish? Is it a whale? Does it? It doesn't matter. What's wrong? Why are you concerned about that? Well, in the Hebrew, it says big fish. Well, because, because back then they didn't know there was a difference between fish and whales. I mean, come on. So, it's not. can I just start, just start with this? You ready for this? The message of Jonah is much greater than the big fish. Okay? And that's all you probably know about Jonah, many of you. And I'm not saying that because you're terrible. I'm saying that's because what the church has been talking about for 100 years is whether it's a fish or a whale and whether or not Jonah could actually survive in there. Like, that's been the big question. We have completely missed the point of the book of Jonah. We have missed over what God has for us in the book of Jonah, when that's all we talk about. Now, it's not wrong for Sunday school teachers to, to you know, do Jonah. And, you know, how many, of you, how many of you in here, raise your hand, survived a flannel graph discussion of Jonah as a child? You're dating yourself now. I miss flannel graphs a little bit. But anyways, Jonah le- lends itself really well to Sunday school lessons because it's interesting. But there's so much more than the big fish in Jonah. Okay, so first off, we've got to start with context. Oh, I'm so excited. Mike and Mike, would you come and help me for a moment? Yeah, I know, Mike, you're back there and Jace is with you, but it's got to be the two of you. It's got to be the two of you. Because if you've been in this church for more than five years, you know what comes next. All right, here we go. This is, now make sure you got it the right direction. Just hold it. We're not using tape today. I'm going to show you the timeline. Now, some of you in my timeline study are going to see this later this afternoon, but just for the rest of you, here we are. The timeline, and we're not even going to go all the way back to the beginning, because if we started in, at the beginning with Genesis chapter 1, it goes over to that light over there. That's how long it is. This is the timeline. Nice and tight, gentlemen. All right, this is the timeline. Woo, some of you have never seen this. It's so, do you have that warm, fuzzy feeling? Oh, it's, 
I should, I don't know about that. Let's not, let's not get hasty. Dave Rokes won't stand for that. All right, so what we have over here, this is today. And it's slightly further this way than it was the last time I showed you this. Okay, it's about a quarter of a centimeter further. That's how far we've gone. And over here we have, this isn't the beginning, but this right here is Moses. Okay, Moses, about 1500 B.C. Okay, here's Moses. And of course, in the middle of that, so there's 1500 B.C., there's 2021 A.D. And of course, in the middle of this, what do you suppose this red part is? That's Jesus, right? Here's Jesus, and the blue, the blue is as the New Testament was being written, okay? So here's the life of Jesus, about 33 years. Here's the rest of the New Testament being written. So the New Testament, it, the final book of the New Testament ends being written right there. There you go. That's church history. I really like that, but I'm not going to talk about that today, okay? And then here we have the Old Testament back to Moses. So, here's Moses. Here's the Ten Commandments. Here's the conquest of Canaan. The period of the judges. 400 years of judges, right? Here we have King Saul and, of course, King David, right? And the promise of an eternal kingship in the line of David, right? Then we've got King Solomon, and then after Solomon, the northern and the southern kingdoms of Israel and Judah. So for these three kings, Israel was one nation, remember? After Solomon, Israel split into two nations, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And those kingdoms lasted all the way until 722, the northern kingdom of Israel was destroyed. And then the southern kingdom lasted a little longer until 586. The southern kingdom of Judah was destroyed in 586. Then we've got the period of exile. And then we end up with Ezra and Nehemiah and the rebuilding of the temple because the temple was destroyed right there. Everybody remember? And then the end of the Old Testament is right here. And this is the 400 years between the Testaments. Where's Jonah? Where's Jonah? Right there. Jonah was a prophet to the northern kingdom. He prophesied just a few years before, and this is not an exact date. Jonah and uh, Hosea and were, were um, co-prophets together. They prophesied before the end of the northern kingdom in, in about somewhere between 790 and 750 B.C., 740 B.C. There's Jonah. That's it, guys. You can just let it drop. So, when we talk about Jonah, we're talking about a prophet who was active while there were two nations of Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom, which, had, which came to be known as Judah. And then in Roman times, we started calling it Judea. Okay? And Judea was a Roman province. Israel, northern kingdom. Judah, southern kingdom. Jonah was a prophet to the northern kingdom just a generation before the northern kingdom was destroyed. Wow, that was fun. Who's excited? Come on, preach it. All right. So I want you to take a look 
at, um, well, I want you to do something real quick before I, I look at Scripture quick. I want to do a pair share today. I do these every so often where you talk with your neighbor about something. And I want you to talk with your neighbor about this question very briefly. Was Jonah a good prophet or a bad prophet? Go ahead. All right. Well, as I was studying Jonah in preparation for this message, I have realized that I might need to adjust my approach and look at Jonah with fresh eyes. I think we oftentimes get ideas planted in our heads, like when we're young, like Sunday school kids, right? Remember that? You were in Sunday school, I flannel graph, right? I think we get ideas in our brains sometimes, and then those ideas, they just like sit there, and we just keep referring to those ideas more and more and more. In my brain, as a kid going to Sunday school, I decided long ago that Jonah was a bad prophet. Why did I think that? Well, because he disobeyed God. Because he ran from what God told him to do. Because he failed to follow God's call on his life. Because he was rebellious. Now, did you hear those words I just used? Listen to to the words I just used. Disobeyed. Ran. Failed. Rebellious. Those words have stuck in my mind. And when I think about Jonah, those words come up. And as I started to go back to Jonah, it's been a while since I read Jonah carefully. And When I started reading Jonah, those words were like right in front of me. And I read the story and I'm like, yep, 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 yep. And then something happened. I mean, I've been struggling with this because in my brain, a good follower of God, a good Christian, does not disobey, does not run from God, is not a failure, and is not rebellious. See, in my brain, I think those are traits of someone who is not a good follower of God. But you know, I've been challenged by that, and my studying of Jonah has taken an unexpected turn. Do you remember, I've told this to you before, there's a fancy seminary word that I've told you before, okay? And some of you don't like it when I use fancy words, and that's understandable. I don't use fancy words just to be fancy. Okay, or churchy. Okay, I, but I think that this word matters. The word is exegesis. Okay, I've said this to you before, but it's worth repeating. Exegesis is a word, it sounds fancy, but it has two parts. It's really quite simple. The first part is ex or exe, the second part is Jesus. Okay, the word ex, it's a prefix, it means 
out of or outside of. And I remember this word because um, the, the word exoskeleton. I think of ants. Ants have an exoskeleton. Their skeleton is on the outside. Exoskeleton. Lorinda, you used a word accidentally today that uses ex, exabated. You used that word today in your prayer request for that little girl. Exabated means the, it's the opposite of intubated. means it was taken out. Am I right? The word ex means out of. Okay? The word Jesus means study. So if you say exegesis, what you're saying is you are studying out of or out from. You see that? So you got the word of God and you are studying out of. The opposite of exegesis is eisegesis. The word ice in Greek is the opposite of ex. So, ice means into. So, if you think about eisegesis, you are reading into Scripture. Now, you do want to do exegesis. You do not want to do eisegesis. Eisegesis is when you take a preconceived notion of what you think is already there and read into it. See how that works? So, if you, if you strongly believe like a theological position... You'll see it everywhere. See, instead of looking for Scripture to speak to you, what Scripture's saying, you are looking to speak to Scripture, here's what I see everywhere. Now, what I've been confronted with when I started studying for Jonah is that I, I started my studying with eisegesis. I started looking at Jonah with the preconceived notion that he was a failed prophet. I think that's a mistake. Now, so how could that be? Well, we're not supposed to read into it. So if you just look at the Bible, if you just look at Jonah and you just look at what the Bible says about Jonah on its own and let it speak to us, you find something rather interesting. I want to start by saying, and I know I don't have a lot of time. I got about 10 minutes. We're going to do this. Look at 2 Kings chapter 14, verses 23 through 25. In 2 Kings, Jonah is mentioned. In the 50th year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel. Did you see Judah's the southern, Israel's the northern? Did everybody get that? Um, he became king of Samaria and reigned 41 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. He was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Labo Hamath to the Sea of Arabah in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath-Hefer. Now, that was a lot of crazy um, Hebrew names and such. But I want you to, to get this. Notice what it says about Jonah. Everybody got that? Now notice what it doesn't say. It does not say he was a bad prophet, which is really interesting when it talks about Jeroboam II in the previous verse, it does say the king is an evil king. Let that sink in. So in this passage that talks about Jeroboam II, 
Jeroboam is described as evil, but Jonah is just described simply as the prophet of the Lord. The one whom the word of God came through. Can I, can I help you? Let me, let me help you decipher that. The Bible in the Old Testament, where it talks about Jonah in the historical part of Scripture, does not in any way say that Jonah was a failure. Not in any way. It simply refers to him as an ordained prophet of God. Not only that, but consider the fact that Jonah is one of the minor prophets. The book of Jonah made the canon. Why? And if that's not enough, let me show you something else. Let me show you something else. What do you suppose Jesus had to say about Jonah? You know, Jesus, the guy who's God. We might want to listen to that guy, right? What does he say about Jonah? Look at Luke 11, 29 through 32. And there's a parallel to this same section in Matthew. But in Luke 11, 29 through 32, it says, As the crowds increased, Jesus said, This is a wicked generation. It asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now one greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. You know what's interesting about that passage of Scripture? Jesus is putting himself in the favorable category of Jonah. And Solomon, he mentioned Solomon too. Jesus is putting himself in the favorable spot of Jonah. And he doesn't say Jonah was a messed up prophet. He doesn't say Jonah did everything wrong or that Jonah somehow was a failure. Quite the opposite. He says Jonah was so successful in his prophetic task that the Ninevites will condemn, and Jesus is talking to the Pharisees here, that the Ninevites will condemn the Pharisees at the judgment. That's how successful of a prophet Jonah was. I I need you to get this. The evangelical church, that's the, the, the Protestant evangelical church, has been saying for about 100 years, Jonah was a failure. Jonah is a great example of what not to be, is what we have been told for 100 years in the church. And I have been challenged to think about this differently. When I really look at exegesis, instead of eisegesis, here's what I've discovered. Nowhere in Scripture outside of the book of Jonah is Jonah even remotely referred to as a failed prophet. Let that sink in for a second. Jonah is never held up as a negative example of what followers of God are outside of Jonah. That's a big deal. Because for all of us flannel graphers, if you would have said, is Jonah good or bad, I think we would have said, myself included, and probably you in your, in your parish here, Jonah's a failure. I'm excited because when you begin to look at Scripture with fresh eyes is when you can begin to hear a fresh word from the Lord. Some of us have been Christians for so long 
that these things that we've just put in hard, long-term memory 50 years ago, for myself, 40 years ago, we've just put that in our memory and we just don't even critically think about things anymore. You see that? We just read Scripture eisegetically instead of exegetically. I'm challenging you at the beginning of this series on Jonah not to do that. I'm challenging you to look again exegetically at the book of Jonah. And that's hard for us to do. And the longer you've been a Christian and the older that we get, the harder it is to to be pliable in our looking at Scripture. Do you see that? Just in this discussion of Jonah, I think something should rattle loose in your brain. Oh, maybe I need to look at this again with fresh eyes. Jesus himself connected himself to Jonah. And the connection was not negative. Now, Jesus does say that he's greater than Jonah, right? Well, that's because he is. And if you've got a question about how great Jesus is, um, an entire book of the New Testament is dedicated to that question. Anybody remember what that book is? Hebrews. I preached like 18 sermons on Hebrews. And every sermon I had a thing on the screen that was, says, Jesus is greater than. You remember that? Yeah. So I guess I'm just done because I can't remember that. The entire book of Hebrews is about Jesus being greater than everything. Angels, everything. He's, he's God. It's the entire book of Hebrews. So it's not surprising that Jesus makes a statement, he's greater than Jonah. But the point I'm making right now is, he compares himself in a positive light to Jonah. Oh, Jonah's got so much for us. I'm out of time. Oh, I've got like four pages left that I'll do for next week. We didn't even read Jonah yet. I was going to read it. It's right there. I was going to read it, and we we're going to go into chapter one, but we're out of time. I so want you guys to be excited about Jonah. We've got so much to talk about. So I'm just going to close with this last thing. I want to close with something that, that matters a lot. Jonah ran from God's call because he was supposed to preach to Nineveh, right? Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian Empire was a bad group of people. If, if you want to know how bad... It's so bad what the Assyrians did to people that I cannot read it to you. That's how bad it is because there's children present. It is as gory and blood-curdling a history as we know. And of all of the history books that talk about Assyria and the, the Christian commentaries that I read that give examples of Assyria, here's what they say. This is literally a quote from one of my commentaries. Okay, you ready for this? Assyria boasted of their cruelty to captured peoples following the siege of their town or city, and their victims were not limited to the combatants. And then it says this, Warning, what follows is rated R for gore and violence. And I literally cannot read it to you today because of the sensitive ears in this room. They 
were bad. They did unspeakable atrocities. Let me think if you can, and this is horrible, but if you could imagine the worst thing you could do to another human being. The Assyrians already did that and worse. They were nasty. What the Assyrians did to people was terrible. Beyond your imagination. It was bad. And God said to Jonah, go to them. And Jonah said, no. You know, we're in the middle of something bad right now. I want to read, now I'm, I'm being, I want to be careful here. I'm going to read two quotes from President Biden from this week. Okay? We will not forgive. We will not forget. We will hunt you down and make you pay. Do you agree with President Biden's remarks? Let me read the second one. We will respond with force and precision at our time, at the place we choose and the moment of our choosing. Here's what you need to know. The ISIS terrorists will not win. Thirteen American soldiers perished in that bomb. Another 90-plus Afghans. It was bad. It was real bad. It was horrible. What should our response be? To our enemies. Family of God. In our closing moments together today, I want you to see a parallel with Jonah and with our current situation. The Ninevites were worse than ISIS by a lot, a lot worse. Do you know where Nineveh is, by the way? You can still, it, it's, it's in Iraq. It's, by, it's Mosul. You've heard of the town of Mosul. A lot of the Iraq war was around Mosul. That's Nineveh. Like, it's still there. It's, it's the same area. It's the same stuff. I understand Mosul's in Iraq and Afghanistan's a different, I, I understand that. But it's that same area. There's parallels right now. You know, it's really easy for us to play armchair prophet with Jonah. It's easy for us to say, Jonah was a failed prophet. He was rebellious. He, he ran away from God. He, he, should have, he should have done better. He should have followed God's call. He should have went to Nineveh. Is that where you want to go right now? Do you want to go and preach the good news of the gospel with ISIS right now? Because Nineveh was worse, as I just said. 
And before you play armchair quarterback, armchair prophet, and say, see, Jonah was a loser. Before you just put that on Jonah, what would you do? There's a little Jonah in all of us, after all. Jonah has so much to tell us with what's going on in our world right now. Do not eisegete Jonah. Do not play armchair prophet because you think you would have done better. I think I would have done worse. Jonah is a fantastic example of reality in our walk with God. And we're going to see what we can learn from him in the coming weeks. So, as we begin this, I want you to begin the process of opening your mind and your heart to the Word of God, to read out from it, not into it. I want you to open up in a way that maybe you haven't opened up before to Jonah. I want you to maybe reconsider that what you learned as a five-year-old in Sunday school may not be the whole story, and there might be something for us from the Lord. Next week, we're going to dig into the book of Jonah. And my prayer is that reading Jonah will soften our hard hearts. Yeah, I'm scared too. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. It is my prayer that as a church, we would open our hearts to you Holy Spirit, speak to us. I pray that you would keep away the enemy who would speak falsities into our minds and hearts. Protect us, Lord. Holy Spirit, protect us, that we might only hear from you out of your word. We love you, Jesus. In your powerful name we pray. Amen.